Amen. You can grab a seat. And uh, some of you kids might be wondering, this is usually the time in which um, Miss Christina and her partner, her dear friend Sparky, comes up here and gives you a little short children's message. Don't worry, she will be up here. Um, we're going to do something that we did last week. Um, kids uh, and parents, I think we had like one, we actually had one adult play along last week, so no shame at all in this. But last week we had. Um, uh, in your packets here, an opportunity for maybe you to interact with the message and maybe draw some pictures. And so here's what we're going to do this morning. We are going to be in John chapter 19 and John chapter 20. We're going through the book of John um, and we're getting close to the end. And we're going to tell three very short stories. The first story is when Jesus dies. And there's on your piece of paper, if you open it up, it says Jesus' side is pierced. We're going to tell that story where Jesus' side is pierced, he dies. And then we're going to read a short story about Jesus' burial, that Jesus was buried. And then the last story we are going to read about is Jesus' resurrection. And here's the big idea. Here's the main point for today's sermon. Jesus rose from the dead. And do you know what that means? Think about that for a moment. What does it mean that Jesus rose from the dead? I was having lunch with a friend a couple of weeks ago, and he asked me that question. He said, I was talking to someone who, who doesn't believe in Jesus, and they asked me, why is the resurrection so important? And that's a bit of what today's message is about. Jesus' resurrection means that we too will rise from the dead. Now, before we look at this passage, and kids, before maybe you can draw your pictures, I want to tell you a very short story that impacted me significantly. I was nine years old at the time, so just for a moment, if you're uh, older than that, just remember what life was like for you when you were nine years old. I was nine years old, freshly nine years old, and I was in the car. My mom was driving. My brother, who was a few years older than me, he was 12 at the time, was next to me, and then my sister was in the front seat. She was 10, and we were driving, and my mom began to tell us um, a, a little story of what she experienced a couple of days before on the road we were on. We were on this road called Whit Road. It's in Maple Valley, and my mom was saying, you wouldn't believe it. There was, there was was multiple fire engines, there was multiple first aid cars, there was multiple um, police cars. This is back when like nobody lived in Maple Valley too. And so this was a big deal. Have you ever, kids, ever seen that where you've seen a bunch of fire trucks, a bunch of ambulances, a bunch of police cars? That was the scene. And my, you know, I'm getting excited about this as a nine-year-old. What happened? What happened? My mom said, I, I don't, I couldn't figure out what was going on. I just drove by it. And so she said, but, but it's coming up here where the accident took place. And as we're driving, she pulls to the side of the road to where this accident was just two days prior. And on the side of the road, there, were, there was an array of just a ton of bouquets of flowers. It was almost as if it was a burial site. And what was clear, even to me as a nine-year-old, is that someone 
had died two nights before. And there was a name surrounded by all of these flowers. There was a name written on this plaque, this piece of wood. This name is forever etched in my mind. If you go drive on this road, there's even a sign that has this name on it. And the name was this, Jonathan Southwick. I will never forget that name. Never met Jonathan. Never was friends with Jonathan. But here's the reason why I'll never forget that moment. As I look and I see that clearly this Jonathan had died, my brother, who was 12 years old at the time, starts crying. I mean, weeping, crying. And my mom looks back at him and says, Luke, what's wrong? And my 12-year-old brother says, I know Jonathan. I know him. He, I went to school with him. He was one of my friends. And I got this really sick feeling in my stomach. And for the very first time ever in my life, at the age of nine years old, it hit me. Death is real. Someone my brother's age has died. Does that mean that my brother's going to die at some point too? That my, someone I love might die? And then it really hit me as a nine-year-old, one day I'm going to die. And that never hit me before. And here's the thought that went through my head. Well, what happens after that? What, what, happens, what, happened, to, what happened to Jonathan Southwick? What, what's going to happen to me? And that's really what this story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is about. It's about Jesus' death and the fact that one, two, one day you and I will die also. It's about Jesus' burial. One day you and I will be buried too. But it's also about Jesus' resurrection, which means and is about the fact that you too, you and I, if we know Christ, will rise from the dead too. So let's just read this story together. It's in John 19. Kids, I want to encourage you to draw these pictures. And I forgot to say this. This is very important. Um, Once you're done drawing this picture, after service, I want you to do what you did last week. And I would love for you to come up and show me your picture of what you drew. Adults, you can do the same thing if you would like. No one will judge you except those who are watching on. And there's even a a little prize that Miss Christine has for you kids and adults. We'll give you a prize too if you would like. John chapter 19. Let's read this together starting in verse 31. It says, since it was the day of preparation and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So this is kind of a gruesome picture here. Remember, Jesus is, has died on the cross. He's breathed his last. He has just said that last famous statement. It is finished. There's a criminal on his right and a criminal on his left. The sun is starting to go down. Now, I don't know if you know this, but in that day when people were crucified, it literally would take two or three or or four or multiple days before those who died on the cross would finally die and breathe their last. 
And so the sun is going down. The next day is a Sabbath day. And they did not want, the Jews did not want any bodies to be still on the cross on the Sabbath. And so they come to Pilate, who's the governor, who has the authority and says, hey, can you make sure those guys on the cross die? And so Pilate says, go and break their legs. Very gruesome. And you might be going, why break their legs? Because people who were crucified, their feet were nailed to the cross, kind of like they would set up almost like a pedestal on the cross. And what would happen is your arms would get weak and you would begin to like literally lean forward and you would literally get to the point where you couldn't breathe and the only way you could breathe is you'd have to push yourself up on the cross which was very painful when you have nails through your feet but it would allow them to breathe but if you broke their legs oh I'm one of those people that get queasy even thinking about a sprained ankle if you did that they could no longer push themselves up and so they would very quickly die because they couldn't breathe anymore And so Pilate says, do that. And so it says in verse 32, so the soldiers came and they broke the legs of the first and the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, let's be a talking church for a moment here and everybody say already dead on three. One, two, three. So Jesus is dead. He's not mostly dead. He's dead, 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 dead. He, he, there's no hope of him coming back to life in this moment, at least it seems. He is dead. Everybody just say it again. Jesus is dead. So Jesus is dead, and listen to what happens next. It says, they did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you may also believe. Now, John, is who wrote this gospel, he's giving us details of Jesus' death that neither Matthew, Mark, or Luke give. Mainly, he gives us this scene of them coming up to the soldiers and breaking the legs and then coming to Jesus and saying, well, it looks like he's dead. And so they take a spear and they literally run this spear through Jesus's side. Sorry, parents, little PG-13 this morning. And they run it through Jesus's side. Blood and water come out. Only John gives us this PG-13 glimpse of Jesus's death. Why? Why does he do that? Because John wants to make it crystal clear Jesus died. If you have any doubt whether Jesus died, John says, let me tell you, I saw it with my own eyes. They took a spear and water and blood came pouring out. Now, if I had time, I would love to preach a whole sermon on what John is doing here. John's gospel is a brilliant portrait. One of the things that John does in his gospel is he uses language that is also meant to be symbolic. So if you read John's gospel, you notice that John is doing this play on words like light and darkness. But one of the main words that he uses and uses very symbolically is water. And so there 
is something rich and theological going on about water and blood coming out. Just, just can't help myself. Think about it and let's trace John's gospel for a moment and just point out all the places in which we see water show up. John chapter 2, Jesus does his first miracle. He turns water into wine. John chapter 3, Jesus visits with Nicodemus. Remember this? At night, by the way, guys, at night he visits with Nicodemus and he starts explaining to him, hey, if you want to have salvation, you need to be born again. You must be born of water and the Spirit. So John chapter 3, Jesus puts water and the Spirit together. Just Thought you'd know that. John chapter 4 visits the Samaritan woman at the well. Well has to do with water. Jesus says, I am, I can give you living water. John chapter 5, there's this guy who's a paralytic. He's sitting by this pool called the pool of Bethesda. It's a pool of, you guessed it, water guys. And they all believed that this water was somehow magical. If you got into it at the right time, you'd instantly be healed. Jesus shows up to this magical pool that's really not magical. And he says, I'm actually the one that can heal you, and he heals him at the pool of Bethesda. John chapter 6, Jesus walks on water. We love that story. John chapter 7, here I'm doing this from memory. John chapter 7, you have, wait for it, wait for it. Oh man. So, oh, this is the best one right here. Jesus says, if you believe in me, rivers of running water, rivers of water will come out of you. And he's speaking of the Spirit. John chapter 9, there's this guy who's blind. And he spits in the dirt, makes mud, puts the mud on this blind eyes guy, these, this, this guy's eyes who are, he's blind. So go and try that at home, kids. Make some mud, put it on your brother's and sister's eyes, see what happens next. And what does he say? He says, hey, go to the pool of Siloam. And you will be healed. John chapter 13. Jesus washes the disciples' feet with water. And then we get to this climactic moment right here where water and blood comes out of his side. And the whole point is this. The whole point is this. When John gives us this scene of water, blood and water, water is this. Water means you are cleansed. You are made New, Your sins are washed away, but yet also water is this picture of the Holy Spirit. And so I think what John is doing is he's giving us this climactic moment that as we think about the cross, we would think about Jesus' blood and Jesus' water being poured out to cleanse us of our sins. And because of Christ, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Maybe just do a whole study this week on water through John's gospel. And so we see Jesus, he is dead. In verse 36, it says, For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. It says, Not one of his bones will be broken. This is Psalm 34 20. 
And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. He's quoting Zechariah 12.10. In other words, John wants us to know, hey, did you guys know that Jesus' death and the fact that none of his bones would be broken was prophesied about hundreds of years before that? And he points it out to us. But here's the main idea of this section and maybe the picture you drew here. Jesus dies. And the reality is, is one day we will we will die too. And then we come to verse 38, this next picture, this next scene where Jesus is buried. It says, after these things, Joseph of Amarathia, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, he was a secret disciple. Um, he's not like an undercover double agent disciple. It's not that idea at all. Like, oh, that seems kind of cool. Undercover disciple. No, 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 no. He is a secret disciple because he's scared of being seen or affiliated with Jesus for fear of the Jews. Which just makes you pause and think, do people know that you're a disciple of Jesus? Do, do people know that you are a follower of Jesus? Or are you more like Joseph of Amarathia, who's been living secretly? He doesn't want anybody to know. I, I, I believe we see here, Joseph, he's going public here. I think one day we're going to see him in heaven, and Joseph will probably tell us the list of regrets he had. He's a secret disciple, but I hope that you are not. He asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. I love this. Joseph, in Matthew's gospel, we are told Joseph is a really rich man. In Mark's gospel, we are told he's a member of the the Jewish Sanhedrin, which was the highest judicial court. This is like a guy being a part of the Supreme Court. He's a big deal. I love it. He's finally going public in his faith, but notice what he does here. He leverages his power and his authority to do something for Jesus. He goes to Pilate. If anybody else would have gone to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body, they probably, Pilate wouldn't have given it to him. But Joseph uses his, his unique position. And I hope that we would do the same. Do you use your position for the things of the gospel? Joseph finally does. And so he came and he took his body And Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes. So these are fragrances, um, spices, about 75 pounds in weight. I have to imagine they had their servants with them carrying these. I mean, imagine this scene for a moment. Just imagine carrying Jesus' dead body, what that must have been like. And so they took the body of Jesus and they bound it in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. They're they're doing a burial for Jesus. It's almost like this mummified state here that they are putting Jesus in. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. Side note, whole nother sermon here. Where's the very first place we see the garden show up in the Bible? Page two, page two, thank you, Genesis two. I didn't give you a chance to answer, Jake. Yes, Genesis chapter two. Where does sin enter into our world? A garden. 
Where is sin and death conquered? In a garden. You, you got to know that God like, is not looking back and going, oh, that's cool, I didn't even totally mean to do that. No, no, no. It's a setup, friends. This is a setup. And so it says, now in the place there where he crucified, there was a garden. In the garden, a brand new tomb. So there's no other people laying in this tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, so this is Friday, they're preparing for the Sabbath, Saturday, which is the next day. Jesus was crucified on Friday. Since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Matthew's gospel says that they took a stone, rolled it in front of it. They put the Roman seal on this stone. They set out guards in front of this so that no one would come So here's main idea number two. Jesus was buried. Jesus is not taken to the hospital, given maybe some last minute support. Let's put him on a ventilator and see what happens. No, no, no. Jesus is dead. Jesus is buried. Let's look at this last portion here. It says, now on the first day of the week, that's a Sunday, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. Now, John just tells us it's Mary Magdalene, but if you read Luke's gospel or Matthew's gospel or Mark's gospel, you know that there's other people who join too. There's um, Mary, uh, the the mother of James and John, who are there, Joanna, um, and then there's some other women there, and we'll see a glimpse here that for sure John knew that also. It says, while it was still dark, and, and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. I want you to just look very closely at what I read here and notice the language that is used. It's almost like it's out of a Sherlock Holmes novel or a crime scene. You'll notice it was, she saw this, he saw that, and it it was like this, and it was that. It's very descriptive here, and we'll see why. And so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple to the one whom Jesus loved, that's probably John the Apostle, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we, notice she says we, she didn't say me, she says we, because there's probably other people there with her, we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together. So notice this, they've been told Jesus is gone. Their first assumption is obviously someone took Jesus' body. Peter and John, they start running as fast as they can. How many of you are fast runners here? How many of you? Okay, how many of you, kids raise their hand? Every, okay, one adult, thank you. How many of you are slower runners here? Anybody? Okay, you will appreciate Peter in this passage. Let's keep reading. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I love that John just gives us that details. It was a race because apparently everything is a race in life, and John wins and Peter loses. Then it says, stooping to look in, he saw. What does he see? He saw. What does he see? He stooped in to look and he saw the linen clothes. They're lying there. But he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, huffing and puffing, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen clothes lying there. And... The face cloth, 
which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in place by itself. Did you just hear that? Jesus is folding his laundry. He's, he's literally, it says he folded the face cloth. It's just placed neatly inside the tomb. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back in their homes. I, I just want to end by making two real just observations here. Did you see the language? Did you see how descriptive this language is? They saw this. They saw, they saw the linens that he was wrapped in. Oh, it's just lying there. And then his face cloth, it was just nicely folded, put there. Why is John so descriptive in this passage? Two reasons. The first one is this. He wants to make it crystal clear to every single reader ever that Jesus' body was not taken. And here's this point. Who in the world would take a body but first strip it down of the burial cloth, 85 pounds of it, and then nicely fold up this cloth and put it to the side. Like, nobody does that. If you're going to take the body, you take it wrapped in all. John is trying to make it clear to us, hey guys, Jesus' body was not taken here. Something else is going on. And here's the other thing that Jesus is doing. If you do, or John is doing, if you do a very careful study of these words, burial cloth or head covering, you'll find that they show up in the Bible in exactly one other place. And it's the story of when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Remember that? John chapter 11, we were there not too long ago. And if you remember, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and John is very descriptive in that passage too, and he describes how all of the clothes the linen clothes, the burial clothes, including the head covering, Lazarus is wrapped in them still. But in this description, they are not on Jesus at all. What? Is something there, or am I just making too much of that? Oh, there's something there, friends. Here's what's there. What's the difference between Lazarus' resurrection and Jesus' Lazar- resurrection? What ultimately happens to Lazarus after he rises from the dead? What ultimately happens to him? He dies. Like you can't go find Lazarus still living today. His burial clothes were still on him because <laughs> he, he didn't defeat death. He's going to die again. Cool miracle, Jesus. But at the end, Lazarus is going to die again. But Jesus, his burial clothes are not on him. They're neatly folded up. And here's John's point. Jesus' resurrection is a lot different than Lazarus's. Jesus' resurrection defeated death for good. Jesus' resurrection took off any burial cloths that we'll ever wear because he conquered death. Do you believe that? Jesus conquered 
death. In 1 Corinthians 15, there's this passage where the Apostle Paul is talking about the resurrection and the people in Corinth didn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And Paul says, are you, wait, hold on guys. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we're hopeless. Jesus didn't rise from the dead because then we're not rising from the dead. But what Paul ends up saying as he gets to the end of 1 Corinthians 15 is he says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus rose from the dead, you too will rise from the dead if you trust in him. You too will rise from the dead and spend eternity with him. And that is the hope that we have in the resurrection. That is the hope that we have because of the resurrection. We can know for certain my eternity is secure. And I'll end by just simply sharing what I've shared a number of times. Death has hit me harder this year than any year of my life because my dad got diagnosed with stage four cancer. By God's grace and technology, he is able to have a treatment that is prolonging his life, but ultimately, ultimately, he will pass away. Do you know how incredible it is knowing that when that day comes, it will not be the end. When that day comes, I can look at my dad in the eyes and I get to look him in the eyes now and say, I get to spend eternity with you. That's incredible. You and I only have that hope because Jesus rose from the dead. And so here's my question to you. Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Do you believe that you too will rise from the dead because Christ rose from the dead? the dead. Just give me an amen. Amen. Let me pray for us as the worship team comes on stage. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the story of Jesus' death, Jesus' burial, and Jesus' resurrection. Thank you that because of Jesus' resurrection, we know for sure that we too will rise. And Lord, I just want to pray this prayer in 1 Corinthians 15 that Paul says, he says, therefore, because of the resurrection, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Lord, may we take hold of this passage that we can be steadfast, that we can be immovable, that we can abound in good works, knowing that serving you, God, is never in vain because we know that we will rise from the dead and stand before you and give an account of the lives we lived. Lord, would you, in these remaining moments of this service, Stir our hearts and affections for you. Would you 
Help us raise our voices. And as we raise our voices in worshiping you, would you allow the truth and the hope of the resurrection to go so deep into us that you, Jesus, are our living hope that carries us. Pray these things. And everybody said, amen.